you know, what's interesting about that, if I can get real here, is there's something in me that wants to be the good shepherd. That it, it, it was hard for me to think that there were people who had gone hungry and, and I like to be, I like to be the one who said, yeah, we fed, we did what we're supposed to do. And there was this stark reality in this silly but um, simple moment that I can't be that. And the reality is, we will, I do, and we will, wear ourselves out trying to be the good shepherd. You know, we all struggle with this reality, I think. We all struggle trying to provide in a way or to be something that we can't be, to want other people to be happy, to be satisfied, to be encouraged. There's a, there's a flip side to this, too. I, I think it's the same issue that has two sides, our, our struggle with satisfaction and people being filled that sometimes we like to be the one who is the good shepherd but then there's also times where we like to be the one who's being fed that we just want really what the benefits are from the person who's providing we're not necessarily coming for a relationship but we're coming for blessings so, so on the one side, we want to be the Savior, or on the other side, we just want the benefits of what the Savior can give us. We want either to be the good shepherd or to just receive from the good shepherd, good shepherd, but what we really need is a good shepherd, that, that we need a relationship from someone. So on the one side, we try to be something we can't, and on the other side, we just come to consume. We want the blessings, not the blesser. We want the gifts, not the giver. We want the benefits, not the benefactor. We want the provision, not the provider. We want the reward, and not the rewarder. We either wear ourselves out trying to be the good shepherd or we wear ourselves out trying to get things from the good shepherd and either leaves us tired and unsatisfied. And my question for you, church, today is, are you tired and unsatisfied? Today we come to a really important miracle in the life of Jesus. It's the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. So that alone should tell us this is really important. And in this miracle, Mark invites us to stop wearing ourselves out trying to be the provider and to stop just seeking the provision of the provider and to feast on Jesus because he is the compassionate, vulnerable, and satisfying shepherd. And that's my proposition for us today, church is that what we need is to not try to be something and not to try to get something, but to feast on someone, the one who is compassionate, vulnerable, and satisfying. So let's see why and how we can go to Jesus, who is this amazing shepherd. First, we see in this passage that he is the compassionate shepherd, the compassionate shepherd, chapter 6, verse 34 when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Do you like when someone is compassionate towards you? 
Think about that for a second. A few weeks ago, I was on a pastor's retreat in Phoenix, and it felt like when I was in Phoenix, maybe you had experiences like this, like everything goes wrong at home when you're gone. So the first morning I'm gone, and Dondra calls me frantic on the phone, the garage door won't open. And we're all like, oh, you know, you know, everyone said this, and it started to get a little frustrating. It was like, did you pull the thing down, and the garage door's supposed to open? Well, yes, we tried that, and it didn't work. And so the spring had broke. And if you know anything about garage door springs, once that breaks, it's not opening. So the Monday that I had left, and there's one car in the garage, the garage door broke. The next day, my oldest daughter, Darby, who lives in town, she works downtown, She's 23, almost 23, so in the six years of her driving, has never had a flat tire, and on Tuesday morning, calls me, frantic, Dad, I'm on the side of 40 with a flat tire. I am incredibly thankful for my dad, who lives in town and is retired, and showed compassion on our family by showing up, taking care of the garage door, who showed compassion on us and serving my daughter, Darby, helping her fix the tire, getting her to the Honda place so she could get a new tire, the whole situation. And even in all of that, who my dad, whom I trust so deeply, it still felt to me hard to receive his care for me, because what I felt was, ah, I should have been there. I should have been the one who could do it. Because I, I think really deep down, there are times when we're like, yes, you know, we, we like all the blessings. There are times when we're like, just bless me, bless me, bless me. But I also think for many of us, we struggle to receive compassion. It's hard for us because it means that there's this place of being in need, and if we're honest with ourselves, We don't like to be in need. So we see this interesting statement that Jesus says he saw they were sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if you like that description of being called a sheep without a shepherd. I think we don't. I think we struggle that. I mean, can you imagine coming to church and saying, hey, good morning, yeah, how's it going? Good, I'm a sheep without a shepherd today. I'm hoping to find, you know, I mean, we just, to, to have that vulnerability, to have that place of need, it's hard for us. And, and probably the reason for that, there are many, and to not spend a ton of time on this, for me, it's hard to trust people, like what's really in their hearts, that they would want to show compassion to me in a real way, even with my dad, whom I sincerely and deeply trust, I just still struggle. It feels like self-pity to me. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is, I want to help reset for us how his expression of compassion is towards you and me. That it's so much more beautiful than just feeling sorry for us. The word there, we've talked about this actually before, the word there, it's a great Greek word. It's pronounced splagidumai. I can't even say it to you. Splagidumai. That's it. You heard it. That's it. It's close. 
But the cool thing about that word is like, it's supposed to have this like from your gut thing, like splagzidzumai, that it comes out of you. That's what it means, compassion. It actually literally means to be moved from the inner parts. And when Jesus has compassion on us, for Jesus to have compassion in this moment, it means that his heart was ready to burst with grace for the sorrow upon which his eyes were gazing. His whole nature was agitated with commiseration for the sufferers before him. He probes their sorrows, and what he sees, he understands them. And his sympathy is not just a feeling, but a tender feeling transformed into helpful action. Every time in Scripture it says that Jesus had compassion, I believe it's nine times, there's an immediate action that Jesus takes. You know, what Mark is trying to do here is He's saying to all of us, no matter whether you can or can't receive compassion, I want you to see that the one that you can receive compassion for, the one who cares for you more than anyone in this entire world will ever care for you. Mark's trying to reset our thinking about compassion and saying you can receive it from Jesus because he is truly a compassionate shepherd. And you may be asking, well, how does Mark show that? Well, what he does here is something actually quite beautiful, and he uses the bigger story of God to help us. What Mark does here in the telling of the feeding of the 5,000 is he tells the story in a way that he wants to point his readers, to, he wants to point those who are hearing this to this beautiful picture of Jesus as the compassionate shepherd, and he wants to reset how we think about this, the shepherds and to receive from him. We want, he wants us to see that we can truly trust Jesus. And so he puts some very intentional language into this story. And I want to suggest to you that he does five things. First, he's going to contrast what a worldly shepherd is versus the ultimate shepherd. Then what he's going to do is in this story, he's going to compare Jesus to four heroes of the Jewish people, four heroes that, that the Jewish people would have thought these were great people. And, Jesus, and Mark's going to show that if you thought these people were great, I want you to see how much more beautiful and great Jesus is just based on this feeding of the 5,000. This is actually a really cool study that I learned just this first time when I was pressing into this. So, so let's see these five pictures that Mark gives, one contrast and four comparisons to help us see who Jesus is and why we should trust and receive his compassionate shepherding in our lives. So the first thing is this, he's the true and better king, and what he does is he contrasts who Jesus is compared to Herod. So the passage right before this, we want to think about how Mark is using the great story to help us unpack Jesus. So right before this, he tells this story of King Herod. And the story is that basically Herod's throwing this big party. He wants to please everybody. And then at the end of the party, he says, I'll give you whatever you want. And someone asks for John the Baptist to be beheaded. So he kills John the Baptist. 
And, and, and we're actually doing things a little bit differently in how we preach, so we're going to hit this in a couple weeks. But what, what Mark wants us to see is he wants us to see the contrast here, that Herod gave a banquet for his inner circle, Herod did what would protect himself, and Herod murdered for his own gain. And Jesus is exactly the opposite of that king. Jesus serves those who have nothing. Jesus gives them himself. Jesus gives to bring life. Jesus is the compassionate king who doesn't use his power for himself, but he uses it for others. So first we see Mark contrasting Jesus with this king, but then he drops these four nuggets, if you will, in the story where a Jewish reader would have very easily picked up on how Mark was trying to point Jesus, make Jesus out to be a compassionate shepherd. And the next one we see is this. He shows that Jesus is the true and better Moses. So Numbers chapter 27, verse 17, it talks about Moses and he, he basically, Moses is, is praying this prayer. He's saying, who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd? Have we heard that already this morning? That Jesus had compassion on them because they were what? Sheep without a shepherd? That the Israelites, if they, when they heard Mark write this, they would have immediately thought about this passage. And not only that, they would have also immediately seen the references to Moses that's going on here. That, that Moses, what happened with Moses? There was the feeding of the people with bread from heaven. right? And even, even this picture of Jesus breaks them into groups of 50, that that's exactly what Moses did to lead the people. And so what he's doing, Mark is saying, as in this retelling of this story, he's pointing it back. He's like, you guys know how great Moses was? Jesus is the true and better Moses. He now comes on the scene to feed people where they are truly satisfied. He comes on, this, on the scene to say, I am the one here who is to nourish you in your need. He then points to another person. Jesus is the true and better Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 43 and 44, let's listen to this. But a servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So this is Elisha's servant who's saying this. And Elisha says, give them to the men, so give them food to the men, that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So if you remember, I read it quickly this morning, but at the very end of this reading of Mark, what did it say? Leftovers. There were leftovers at this feast. And so immediately when people see that, they would have automatically thought, oh, so he said it before them and they ate and had some left according to, according to the work of the Lord. And the people would have recognized it, would have said, oh, this is that picture of Elisha. That exactly what happened then. Oh, Jesus has come on the scene. Why should we trust Jesus as a compassionate shepherd? Because he's the true and better Elisha. And he keeps going. The third person that he compares him to, Jesus is the true and better David. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 and 24, it says this, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be my prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
And what's very cool about this passage, we don't have enough time to really dig into it, but there's this beautiful parallel that's happening in Ezekiel where it's making it clear that, yes, David is going to come on the scene, but there's this hope of a better, a bigger, more important shepherd that's going to overshadow who David was. And and so the people, again, I would argue that what's happening in, in this story that Mark's retelling, he's trying to say Hey, don't miss this. In the same way that it said in Ezekiel that David shall feed them, here's the true and better king who's come on the scene now to do what? To feed and to satisfy. And there's one more. This is maybe my favorite one. Jesus is simply the true and better shepherd. One of the most famous psalms, the one that most everyone knows, is Psalm 23. It's been true throughout history. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He makes me lie down in green pastures. When you're telling a story, we think about this with scripture, every single detail matters. And in verse 39 of the story, Mark says, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Wait, 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 I mean, it's just green grass, Brian. What's the big deal? So, I mean, we could really dig into this. They're in a desolate place, Mark is describing. And somehow in the middle of nowhere, there's this green grass that Jesus says, hey, I need all of you 5,000 people, just men, so it's probably like 15,000 people. If you guys could go over here and just sit in the green grass, that'd be great. Because why? Because the Israelites would not have missed the point here. That what Mark's trying to say is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That this king, this shepherd who has come on the scene, Mark, in this very beautiful way, is painting this picture for us of why we should trust Jesus. Because he's not like any worldly king that exists in that world at the time. He is a true and better king. And he's even better than Moses, and even better than Elisha, and even better than David, and even better than the the shepherd that is talked about in the very famous Psalm 23. And Mark is saying to all of us this morning, he comes to show you compassion because we are sheep without a shepherd. Will you trust him? He then calls us in the midst of that. He shows us how to come to Jesus. And this is a pretty challenging aspect of what it means to follow this king. Because the second thing we learn in this passage is that Jesus is a vulnerable shepherd. Vulnerable shepherd. So throughout the Gospels, and especially at the cross... What makes Jesus different from every other spiritual leader in the world is that he made himself vulnerable. He was broken, which we're going to get to here in just a little bit. He was broken for us that we may be made whole. He became vulnerable. It's what the picture of the bread is here, that the bread was broken. And the kicker is that sometimes for us in Christianity, what we lose sight of is that in the same way Jesus became vulnerable for us, he now says 
that in the way that you will build your trust and show your trust in me is to be vulnerable people. In essence, that's what Jesus is doing here with the disciples. He says in verse 37, he sees all the people. They need something to eat. The disciples have said they need to leave so they can go get something to eat. And then Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And, and the you there is emphatic. It's not just like, hey, can we give them something to eat? He, he's saying to them, you give them something to eat. Because what should be going on in their minds and was going on in their minds is, uh, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> I, we, got, we can't feed them. We don't have food to, I mean, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to give up, and the 200 denarii is basically about a year's wage? They're like, should we just take all of our year's wage to go buy one meal for all these people? So Jesus, you know, he, he, he challenges them. He's inviting them to be vulnerable, to bring everything they have. And the disciples look at him and they're like, are you crazy? <laughs> I wonder if you, like me, have ever been in that moment where you heard the word of God or Jesus say to you, bring me everything you have. And you said, are you crazy? I can't give my money like that. I can't forgive that person like that. I can't let them get away with that. Jesus is calling his followers to bring everything they have. Why? Because if he is the good shepherd, if he is the, the compassionate shepherd and was himself the vulnerable shepherd. He's saying, if you trust me, if you're satisfied in me enough, then, then the application of your life, the way that you're going to apply this is you're going to be vulnerable too. And that's what he calls us to, to vulnerability. It's this powerful picture here, though, and we can't miss this because he doesn't just say, come be vulnerable and good luck. Right? This is the whole beauty of the picture of the feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus is saying, come be vulnerable with me. Bring everything you have. And guess what? It's going to be this tiny amount. And then I'm going to join with you. That it's actually me through you. You bring five loaves and two fishes. Yeah, guess what? I'm going to make that. I don't even, I mean, how many loaves of bread did that become? I have no idea. A lot. I mean, I love bread. I don't know if you know this, it's one of my favorite foods. Bread is one of my favorite foods. I mean, I could eat at dinner. I mean, I, you know, we're gluttons here in the U.S., but I'm just saying, like, I could eat a few pieces of bread. So one loaf of bread would go for what? Say one whole family? So four or five people? So a thousand loaves of bread? What Jesus is saying here is he, he's inviting us. It's something very powerful. He's saying, I need you to come be vulnerable. I need you to come take this risk and then let me do this through you. Let me be powerful through you. Let me be exceptional through you. Sometimes I think we forget that, I love this saying, I heard it this week, that we often think that we're on mission for God, but it's actually a co-mission. 
that God is using us and working through us, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. So we have to come and become vulnerable. I want to help by defining what that means because sometimes we can, I, I don't know how we think about vulnerability. I heard an amazing definition from a, a writer and thinker, Andy Crouch, in his book called Strong and Weak. He wrote this, vulnerability is this, exposure to meaningful risk. He wrote, it's the possibility of loss. To risk is to open ourselves up to the chance that something will go wrong, that something will be taken from us without knowing for sure whether that loss will come to pass or not. Vulnerable means woundable. That's what Jesus is calling his followers to. That's what Jesus did for us. He risked everything. He became woundable for you and for me. That's the simple kingdom we sang about the upside-down kingdom. Mark is using the disciples to show us here, if you trust me, I want you to trust me with all that you have. And so what that means is, in the same way that you saw me become vulnerable, you be vulnerable. So are you ready to be vulnerable? Now, there's only one way that we can be vulnerable like that. And it's when our needs are met by the one who can truly satisfy. And that's where we come to maybe the most important verse in this passage. Mark 6, verse 42. And they ate and were, say it with me, satisfied. They ate and they were satisfied. He took the food. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it to the people, and they were satisfied. It literally means to eat to one's fill. Can, can you remember the last meal that you had when you walked away and you were like, I am so full, and that was so good. That's the picture Mark's painting here, that these people were satisfied. And, and what he's saying here is that Mark... That, that Jesus had, he was compassionate and vulnerable, and he satisfied them to their fill. And I'm curious this morning, because again, Mark is telling a specific event, but he's, you can see already, we try to pull out here that there's so much bigger that's going on. And the question for us should be, do you find that to be true in your life? That you've gone to Jesus and been satisfied? Can I just be super candid with you guys for a second here? <laughs> I struggle with that. I, 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 it's easy to stand up here and say, be satisfied in Jesus, everybody. Go get it. I, and that's kind of how I feel about it sometimes, that it's like, hey, you need to just be satisfied in Jesus. He will satisfy you. He's all that you need. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I believe it. I believe that I can be satisfied in Jesus. And then it's like three days later, I've been reading, I've been trying to pray, and I'm like, this is just not as good as a bag of potato chips. I just do not feel it. It's like, I mean, because, I, I mean, those Lay's potato chips, I mean, when it's late at night and I, I'm just like, man, I just, one of those salty chips is just like, oh, 
oh, you just can't eat just one of them. It's so, and I want Jesus to be that for me, but it's just like sometimes he's not. I wonder if you struggle with that, like me. That sometimes you, sh- you come here and you walk away and you're like, yeah, I want Jesus to be my all in all. I want to just worship him alone. And I leave and it's like, okay, but he's not. You know, Lent has shown me how easy it is for me to go to unsatisfying places to have my hunger satisfied. In fact, I've learned just in these last 10 days that I don't have the courage to be hungry. I mean, Jesus doesn't seem to be working, so I'll go back to food or back to social media or back to games on my phone or whatever it is. Listen, I, I want to, I think, just want to be real for us in our culture here and and how we understand life and live and that is this that being satisfied in Jesus there's a process to it I mean we've spent years and years and years training and teaching our hearts and our souls to be satisfied to try to be satisfied in unsatisfying things and we keep feeding and feeding and eating and eating and it's not working And then we're like, I'm going to just try this one thing for two days. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, I'm just going to go back here, and I'm going to feed and eat and eat. I mean, are you guys with me? Do you know how we do this? Like, And and so a little bit, my challenge for us this morning is this, is do we have the courage to allow our soul to be hungry and stop feeding on the things that bring false satisfaction and just be patient and be hungry for Jesus, knowing that it's just going to take a little bit of time, that, that it is a process, that, that we might have these moments of spiritual awakening and power and beauty, but, but what Jesus is looking for in us is he's saying, I want to satisfy you, so it's this journey of patience and ongoing feeding in me. So, What we need to learn is feast on him, feast on what he did for us, feast on his word, feast in prayer, feast with humility and hunger, and ask him to feed us, because it's him that we need. It's him that we need. All right, sometimes I just have to call this out, but this is hands down the favorite part of this sermon for me, so I need you guys to check in with me. Come back if you've been out, if you're hungry, come back. Some of you might be saying, Brian... (laughs) I like this passage. I mean, I'm, I don't know. You can, uh, Jesus is the true and better David. Jesus is the true and better Elisha. Okay, was Mark really trying to do that? I, I mean, I hear you saying that we need to feast on Jesus, but this just looks like a story to me that Jesus was just, there were hungry people, he fed them, and we're supposed to go, oh, man, that was cool. Okay, Jesus can feed a lot of people. But is there more to what Mark is saying here? Is Mark really saying to us as his, the readers of this 2,000 years later, asking us, do you have the courage to be hungry? Is that really what Mark is calling us to? So in chapter 6, we're going to stay right where we were. I want to read this to you just one more time. Verse 41, he says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. All right, I want to read it one more time because I read it too fast. One more time. 
And I want you to focus on those words. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said, a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. At the end of the book of Mark, in chapter 14, verse 22, listen to this. Mark says, And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. Did you hear it? That he took, that he blessed that he broke and he gave. That for Mark, when he said Jesus stood before the 5,000 people and he took and he blessed and he broke and he gave, he said, do you have the courage to be hungry? Because I am the one who is here to satisfy and fill your souls. For you to eat, something else has to die. And because he died, we can feast on him and live this morning, church. May we ask God to feed us this bread. And you know what? There'll be leftovers. And it says they took up 12 baskets full. And so our shepherd is compassionate and vulnerable and satisfying. And it's not just that he doesn't run out of food, my friends. He doesn't ever run out of mercy. He doesn't ever run out of grace. He doesn't ever run out of forgiveness. He doesn't ever run out of love. He doesn't ever run out of goodness. And so his question to you and to me this morning is, do we have the courage to be hungry? Because he longs to satisfy. Let's pray. Almighty and awesome God, we come before you because we want to be hungry. And so hear our cries to you. Come feed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.